can tie this thing up with a field goal. He turned down a 44-yard try earlier in this half. In this one, I, I say you go for this one. You're on the road. You've got a yard to make, and you got Sean Green in your backfield. I would go for this one. The previous one, I say kick a field goal. is a little longer, a fourth and two. I say you go for this one, and that's what Ference is doing. They're going to go for it on fourth and one. Essentially, this is the game. Green is stopped in the backfield by Adam Decker. And Michigan State will take over on downs again. That's the biggest play of Adam Decker's career right there. Fourth down stand where he comes up, is untouched, fills the hole, and makes a huge hit on Sean Green. It was unbelievable the way he came through and got that thing done. Well, that's cost rather a gloom over the evening, hasn't it? Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyesmike.com. Last Saturday's Iowa-Michigan State game highlights are courtesy of ESPN2 with Clay Matvick and Ray Bentley. Those two did a nice job. Ray Bentley seems to work much better with Matvick than with Pam Ward. We very much appreciate it and thank them. These football programs come to you following every game during the entire season. This week, once again, you'll have the chance to hear Marv Cook's thoughts and Pat Hardy's opinions. You'll hear from the opposing coaches in this coming Saturday's game. We'll take a look at the Big Ten Conference, and we'll also preview the Iowa-Indiana game. We've also had some questions the last couple of weeks about pass interference calls against the Hawks. So Rob P. will discuss those calls and review the rules on both offensive and defensive pass interference. And during the course of the season, we'll also hear from you, the Iowa fans. We invite you to share your comments each week by calling 866-74-HAWKS. To the end zone, Andy Brodell, did he stay in? Yes, touchdown! He was juggling a little bit, but I think he got it in his hands and got the leg down. And that was a heck of a play by Andy Brodell, and what a great throw from Stanzi. Stanzi was being pressured by Dwayne Holmes, but got it off in time. Second touchdown of the year for Andy Brodell, the senior out of Ankeny, Iowa. Doesn't get any prettier than that. The Hawkeyes lost another heartbreaker last Saturday as Michigan State hung on to win its homecoming game 16-13. It was an entertaining game to watch, more of an old-school Big Ten game, two teams running pro-set offenses with power running games, trying to stuff it down each other's throats. Turnovers and missed opportunities plagued Iowa once again, yet they still had a chance to win the game in the final two minutes and couldn't close, failing on a fourth down and inches the second such failure in the fourth quarter. Converting on either one of those probably gives Iowa the win. Sean Green had another outstanding 100-plus yards game, and he clearly outplayed MSU's better-known star running back, Javon Ringer, due in no small part to the great play by Iowa's offensive line. Green ended up with 157 yards on 30 carries, while Ringer finished the game with 91 yards, 88 below his average. Iowa's defense turned in another very good performance overall, in addition to holding down Ringer's production, and the Hawks' special teams were good, including Jewel Hampton on kickoff returns, who ended up with 116 yards on four returns. This is clearly a much better team than last year's. It just hasn't figured out how to win close games. Turnovers are killing the Hawks in their last three games. With Stanzi's three on Saturday, Iowa now has as many turnovers through their first six games as they did the entire 2007 season. Iowa also failed to score on two trips inside the red zone and totaled only six points on four red zone trips. 
Stanzi has shown that he can lead the Hawks up and down the field. Now he needs to demonstrate he can protect the football and be productive inside the red zone as well. Iowa has the distinction of being the only team in the nation with three losses by a total of less than 10 points. The Hawks are now 0-2 in the Big Ten. The last time they started the conference season with two losses was 1993. Iowa's record in its last 11 road games now is 1-10. There was a lot of chatter again this week about Iowa's offensive philosophy and its coordinator, Ken O'Keefe. In spite of three years of mediocre offensive performance, Kirk Ferentz strongly defended both the approach and O'Keefe to the point of getting testy in the mini-press conference after his regular Tuesday press conference. Fans who are hoping for some more flexibility and innovation are going to be disappointed. Ferentz calls it stability, admitting nothing really has changed in 10 years. Critics are more likely to call him stubborn. Ferentz is right about at least one thing. Winning will remove a lot of that heat. Continuing to lose, however, will only intensify it. Great story. Compelling and rich. HawkeyesMike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. A quick review of game notes and key stats is brought to you by Prefence, the revolutionary new hand sanitizer that kills bacteria, viruses, and fungi for up to 24 hours with a single application. Go to www.prefence.com. With Michigan State's win over the Hawks last Saturday, the home team in this series has now won the last nine meetings. Iowa started the game on offense once again. The Hawks won the toss, elected to receive, and failed to score. That's the third time now in six contests. Michigan State also failed to score on its opening possession. All six Iowa opponents this season have failed to score on their opening drives. Michigan State did, however, score on its second drive. That marks the first time in six games Iowa has not scored first in 2008. In the red zone, Iowa was 2-for-4 with a lost fumble and interception and two made field goals. MSU, on the other hand, was 4-for-4 with a passing TD and three field goals. Senior defensive lineman Matt Kroll started his 43rd consecutive game Saturday. That's a streak that ties for second best in the Big Ten. He also had eight tackles against the Spartans. Senior defensive tackle Mitch King was credited with seven tackles, and that brings his career total to 200. And linebacker Pat Anger collected a career-high 11 tackles for the second straight week. Key stats, first downs, Iowa had 19 to MSU's 15. Yards rushing, 151 for the Hawks to 91 for Michigan State. Yards passing, 158 for Iowa, 184 for the Spartans. Total offensive yards, 309 for the Hawks, 275 for the Spartans. Total offensive plays, Iowa ran 68 to Michigan State's 58. Possession time, even. Third down conversions, again a problem for Hawks, only 4 of 12. As we already noted, fourth down conversions 0 of 2 for Iowa, and in the red zone again, only 2 of 4 times scoring, while Michigan State scored in all four of its visits in the red zone. There's plenty of time left. I think Kirk Ferentz should kick a field goal and get this thing to a seven-point game. Two straight losses and a lot of criticism for Ferentz and his coaching staff. On fourth and two, Stanzi. Complete but well short of the first down for Darrell Johnson Julianos. A loss of three, and Michigan State will take over on downs. Great stand by the Spartan defense. Poor decision by the Hawkeye coaching staff not to take those three points and get it to a one-score game. Uh, uh, 
Time now to hear from the opposing coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz. Ferentz talks about the tough loss to Michigan State and previews Indiana. It was a tough loss uh, Saturday, as we know. Two pretty good teams, I think, competing hard. And, you know, all that being said, we're moving on. And our focus right now is on Indiana. You know, we're on the road again. Uh, playing a team that, uh, you know, is a very dangerous team, a team we haven't had much success uh, against the last couple of years. You know, we didn't have much success with them uh, when I first got here either. And there are probably some parallels if you look at it. You know, they had a pretty dangerous player in Randall L. back uh, in, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And, uh, you know, we feel the same way about uh, uh, Lewis. You know, he's just a very, very dangerous uh, player back there. Uh, he was a dangerous athlete a couple years ago. Now he's a very dangerous quarterback. He's a guy that throws the ball well. Very explosive running the football. So, you know, it starts right there with him. And then Thigpen's obviously a, uh, one of the faster players, if not the fastest player in our conference. And uh, also is very, very dangerous. So they've got two guys right there that you really have to know about all the time. Uh, got an excellent group of receivers. Their line's doing a good job. Uh, and they're, they're balanced run pass-wise. Defensively, uh, very veteran up front. And their safeties have played a lot corners, you know, they've had an injury out there, so that's a little different story, but the guys up front uh, if I recall, I think they sacked us nine times last year, uh, so enough said right there, both those ends are excellent players you know, Middleton gets a lot of a lot of publicity and, and rightfully so, but the, the guy on the other side, Curlew, is an excellent football player, just a tremendous football player so you got those two guys out there, the guys inside are stout and uh, what have you and then Star and special teams is an excellent player so we're going to have to be at our best, you know, for us I think it all starts with taking better care of the ball, you know, state the obvious there and it's number one on our list right now, so hopefully we can get that addressed a little bit better. Ference talks about the difficulty in third down conversions and scoring in the red zone. We've uh, failed on third down, short and long yardage, you know, both, so we just have to do a better job there. The red area ties in, I think, with turnovers and, you know, most notable, our last two games, you know, we've opened up with uh, pretty good drives, moved it down inside the 25 both times, turned it over both times. So, you know, if I was going to pick one thing, we had two turnovers down there last week. So it, uh, we just have to do a better job. Got to finish finish drives off and get the ball if in the end zone. If not, then uh, give our field goal kickers a chance to, to get it done. Ference was asked if this is getting frustrating, losing three close games in a row, or does he think the team is just a couple of plays away from being decent? Yeah, losing is frustrating regardless, and uh, I guess nothing good about losing close games is better than getting blown out, I suppose, uh, in that you're competitive and you have opportunities, realistic opportunities. So that, that's where we're at right now, and usually it gets down to detail things. You know, turnovers are always very prominent or typically prominent. Special teams are typically prominent in penalties. I think all but one game we've been pretty good penalty-wise. Turnover is a whole different story. And then our, our special teams have been erratic. You know, I thought we were looked healthier Saturday, but they've been erratic over the past month. So that's th- those are, you know, right there are probably the three challenge areas. And, you know, look back at this game last year. The other thing you throw in there is big plays. You know, if you're giving up big plays, consider a sack or a negative yardage plays, you know, uh, big plays also. So those things factor in, and that was really the story of the game last year in this game. Turnovers weren't huge. Penalties were. Sacks were. And, you know, we just uh, didn't give ourselves much of a chance from the, from the start. Ferentz talks about struggling with a young quarterback, the ups and downs of playing Rick Stanzi. There's good and bad, and that's uh, that's kind of like our football team right now. There's good and bad, and uh, the good news is I think the uh, bad is correctable, and uh, you know the, the things that are keeping us from winning I think are addressable, correctable, and uh, you know we'll go from there. The good news is our attitude's been outstanding. The guys are playing with really good effort. They're practicing well, and you know they're they're doing everything they can to ensure that we're going to have a good season. And, you know, that's why I feel pretty good sitting here today, even though we've lost three straight. Ference talks about the experience factor and what that has to do with learning to win close games. 
Uh, that's uh, part of the process, and it uh, seems like that's where we're at right now. But, but that being said, we can't take anything for granted. I mean, we've, we've got to make sure we're doing the A, Bs, and Cs before we worry about these Es and Fs and all that type of thing. So, you know, I mean, again, I think the guys are making the effort. We just have to we have to get over the hump somehow. You know, it's a team thing. I, I just I like the way the guys are working. I like the way they're playing for the most part. You know, we just have to we have to get over the hump, and that's it's in our hands. You know, we have to do it, and we know six teams are uh, going to try to resist that. So, you know, that's a challenge in front of us. But, you know, the attitude's been good. They're working hard, and I just, you know, at some point we're going to get there. Ference compares last year's team to this year's. Last year, we, we kind of were what we were. You know, we had some obvious uh, areas that we were short in or, or short and more, more on experience than anything else. You know, we talked about that, you know, from where we were start of August to, to midseason. But the team last year, I'll I tell you, they worked hard. And I've said that a lot of times. You know, they really worked hard and had a great attitude. There was nothing there. And that's, that's why I was confident we were going to get better during the year last year. And we did. The end was disappointing. But th- this team's been really, really much the same way. And it goes back to March 1st. I mean, when we uh, really got our focus on spring practice, they They've really been good. We're getting great leadership from, uh, you know, the obvious guys, our senior guys. But the younger guys, too, are doing a good job. And, you know, so that, that's really all you can ask of a team. Obviously, we want to play a little smarter, a little cleaner. We have to if we're going to start winning some football games. But uh, it's been a, 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 you know enjoyable team to work with. And, you know, I don't see that changing. I really don't. Ference talks about the play of his true freshman and whether he has any regrets that he's already used seven so far this season. Because there's a lot of football ahead of us, and, uh, you know, we, we've got uh, half our season still in front. And as we've seen in the past, anything can happen. So, you know, we're not, we're not uh, you know, banking on a rainy day at all with those guys. The, the only downside is if they end up not playing a lot, then to me, I go back to, to A.J. Eads. I just thought that's kind of what I took away from his, his experiences. I think he played prominently in one game that season, but just the progress he made as a player working with our number twos every day and uh, going through the game planning sessions, all those types of things, I think it really advances a player uh, and accelerates them. And, you know, I think outside of Lyman, I think it's a, it's a a good investment. That's kind of the consensus we've come up with as a staff. And in an interesting part of the press conference on Tuesday, Ference talked about media requests to interview his assistant coaches. You know, as far as requests for assistant coaches, you know, you can make them and just make them directly to me and I'll, I'll be happy to tell you probably no. Go from there. Maybe with an exception. Uh, I'll try to make the coordinators uh, available uh, during the bye week. I say try. I think that's probably uh, realistic. And I've always tried to do that during bowl preparation, so we'll plan on continuing that. And I'm open to doing it in the autumn season. But uh, the number one one reason for not doing it just you know these guys got a lot on their plates just like our players do quite frankly i just don't think it's part of their job description so that, that's my job to handle the the media relations uh it's our players job to to be at interviews if they uh you know if they don't have a class conflict and you know we'll do our best to suit you there but uh, as far as you know i believe our guys got enough to do you know trying to get a game plan ready get the team ready and also uh look after our players so i, I just you know if you want to be mad somebody be mad at me on that one Indiana head coach Bill Lynch talks about the Minnesota game and previews the contest against the Hawks. We had a tough loss at Minnesota, and Minnesota is a good football team that's playing with a lot of confidence now. But we got a chance to bounce back. Uh, we were at home with Iowa, 
and a, another team that we have great respect for. And they've lost a couple tough ones here, but uh, very well coached and, and uh, certainly have some great players. So looking forward to the challenge. Lynch was asked why he thinks Iowa is 3-3 three and three when they could very easily have been 6-0. and oh. I mean, They've been very, very close, and it's play here or play there in each of their games. And, and if you look at the three teams that they've lost to, I think they're a combined 16-2. and two. And very similar to, to our situation, we've lost three in a row, and the three teams we've gotten beat by are 16-2. and two. So some of it is who you're playing in some tough environments, but uh, they're an outstanding team that have been very, very close each of the last three weeks. Lynch talks about the keys for Indiana to to win this game? Well, I just think we have to be sounder in, in all that we do. I, I think uh, the last two weeks we've, we've played uh, pretty good defense, but we've given up a, a play here or there that, that has really hurt us. Uh, last week, uh, a couple times, uh, Weber, Minnesota's quarterback, broke containment, You know, got out in the open space, and we got out of coverage, and they got some big plays. So we got to eliminate that turnovers. We're, we're still turning the ball over, and any coach in America that gets beat is going to look at that and say that had a, had a major factor. So we're going to have to be a little bit better with the football. And uh, I just think we got to be sounder overall. You know, we haven't been as close as Iowa, but in the last three games that we've lost, we've been in the fourth quarter with an opportunity. You know, at that point, you got to you got to play well enough to get the job done. Lynch was asked about whether his offense is still struggling to find its identity in the post-James Hardy era. You know, I, I guess there's probably a little bit of that. I, you know, really, we had played pretty well offensively until last week. And, you know, some you got to give Minnesota credit. I thought they had a great plan and executed very well. We, we've certainly have good receivers. We don't have that one guy that, uh, uh, like James, that we went to all the time. But I, I think, as much as anything else, we had three senior offensive linemen that played for us a year ago that uh, aren't with us. So, you know, we always look at that one guy, and, and certainly James is that guy for us. But I, I think there's some other factors as well. And, but I think we're improving, and, and uh, we slipped a little bit last week, but I think we're going to have a good week of practice and get back, get back on track. Lynch talks about how his defense might try to stop Sean Green and compares Green to the other good backs in the Big Ten. Well, we think he's an outstanding back, and, and uh, you know, this level you're going to see good backs week after week, but uh, they do a great job up front. Uh, they're very physical, and, uh, you know, they're going to come come at us, and, and we're going to have to <coughs> line up. Uh, but I, I would compare them favorably to the, the guys we've seen. Lynch was asked what's hampering Indiana's offensive production, especially in the second half. You know, we, we certainly have looked at that hard, and, and uh, as everybody does when you come off a loss or a couple in a row, you, you look at those things, and it is true. I, I don't think there's any anything in particular. I think that uh, we've made, uh, you know, good halftime adjustments to, to what the opponent's doing to us. And and there have been times in each of those games where we've moved the ball well in the second half. We just haven't scored. And that's something we are addressing and certainly have to do a better job of starting this week. And Lynch talks about the Minnesota game when Indiana only ran 48 offensive plays and whether we would like to have gotten Marcus Thigpen, his star running back, more involved in that offense. Well, I, I think the certainly uh, when you only have 48 plays, you don't get to all the things that uh, you prepared. Uh, and, and that was really our responsibility that we didn't convert on third down so we didn't stay on the field long enough but uh, Marcus you know obviously is a, a guy that has made big plays for us and uh, he is a big part of it but I, we try to be balanced and we, we feel like we have several guys that can make plays uh, so it you know it, you know we had hoped to have the ball more in the fourth quarter so that we could have gotten to some things but we didn't and, and uh, so we've got to address those things as we move forward to Iowa. Call in and express your opinions about the Hawks. 
to make your voice heard on HawkeyesMike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS and join our guest experts on weekly podcasts. We welcome back Marv Cook for his weekly stint on HawkeyesMike.com. This week, Sean Patchett visits with Marv. Three losses in a row now by a total of nine points. What's your overall impression from last Saturday's game? Uh, I think the most frustrating aspect of it is, is the fact that I think I was better, the better football team. And to go on the road and play that well and, and just to have mistakes and, and you know just costly turnovers cost you points, which ultimately cost you the game, is, is the most frustrating aspect of it. But the positive is, is I, I really felt like I was the better football team. I thought they were more physical. I thought they were you know better up front offensively and defensively. And uh, normally in the Big Ten, that's conducive to a victory, but it wasn't this Saturday. So that's the disheartening thing. Uh, this is a team that's got to find a way to win. they got to find ways to make enough plays to win football games. And uh, you can go back and if you look at 95% of all football games, what level they're at, the, the losing side can say if we just had those five plays over again. That's exactly what this one was for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Four or five plays and that's it. They win the game. Sean Green and the offensive line continue to dominate. Incredible. I mean, it's just phenomenal to watch those guys work. They really have the zone down right now and they're blocking it extremely well uh, with the exception of the short yardage play. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's fun to watch. I mean, they are pretty dominant up front and Sean Green is a powering physical back and and I know that's Iowa's built around that and uh, usually if they have success in that it sets up to play action but they just haven't had as much success in the passing game as you'd like to see off a very effective running game. When you're out gaining teams and holding down their running games it's frustrating aren't you supposed to be winning? That's exactly right and uh, you know that is the hard part is, is that that's exactly what you want to do. You control the time of possession, control the ball, control field position. It's like Coach Ferentz has said, is you can't have that many turnovers and expect to win football games. And that's what they've had the last couple games is turnovers have been extremely costly, cost them points. You know, when you lose close games, that's those are big. Can you explain the theory of zone blocking and why it's generally successful? Well, I think it's, uh, I think one thing you get is you get, um, a lot of times you get a double team at the at the line of scrimmage and then you're pushing up to the next level. So you get a double team at the line of scrimmage and then they're going to push up to the to the backer and then what it forces the backer to do is he's got to make a choice. He either comes over the top or comes underneath and if he comes underneath now the back just keeps pressing at play side. If he comes over the top now the back can look for a cutback. Offensively it allows the, like I said, the two guys, the uncovered lineman is basically going to step with the covered guy and they're going to double up to the next level. And so you get two guys pushing on one guy for at least two or three yards hopefully and then the backer's got to make a decision on where he's going to go it's it's a tough decision to make you know and the thing that'll kill the zone is penetration and you know i was doing a good job right now just getting bodies on bodies and, and creating creases and all you need is two feet you know 18 inches and the back will pound it in there and he's coming out the other side every once in a while and that's what's that's what i always got going right now one thing that seems to be improving significantly game by game is downfield blocking by Iowa's receivers. Yeah, I think uh, that's coaching, and that's something that you got to work on every single day and, and make that a point of emphasis. And, you know, when you get backs like uh, Iowa has now that are getting to the next level, it just becomes that much more important. And, and uh, you know, the seven-yard runs now become 15, and 18, and 20-yard runs if, if the guys are downfield working on, on DBs. And the way I always looked at it was it's the offensive chance to hit the defensive guys. You know, defensive guys usually get to try to lay out, you know, cold cock the offensive guys when they're catching balls. So this is a chance for the offense to get aggressive and physical and get back in their face. So, but it has been good and it's, uh, it's trust me, in, in the running game it's so critical to have that because, you know, like I said, that's huge extra yardage uh, when those guys are downfield locking guys up. 
Talk about Rick Stanzi's play, his first Big Ten road game. He's continuing to make critical turnovers, yet showing poise and nice touch on his throws. Is all this just a part of the deal when you're starting a young quarterback? Uh, yeah, I think so. Unfortunately, there's going to be times, and you know, one of them they were rubbing, a, they were doing like a, a rub route underneath, a sh two double cross is what we call it, and with a dig behind it, and and the two guys collided, the two Iowa guys collided, and you want the defensive guys to collide, and that shortened up the route for the the Iowa guy, and he he throws it out in front of him, and it gets picked. So you know, a lot of that's timing, and you know, at times you want to make a play, and it, you know, there's certain times you just got to throw the thing in the ground, and and uh, uh, you know, like I said, but that, that play got mixed up with the collision inside, and, and, and you know, those are tough breaks, tough breaks. You know, the fumbles and other things like that, he was fighting for extra yards. The guy puts his helmet right on his hip and knocks the ball out. I mean, those are, you know, tough, tough breaks, but when you're in close quarters, you got to cover the points and, and, and hammer that thing down. But, uh, but, you know, it is. It's part of the being the learning curve. You know, knowing what you can and can't do in, you know, the red zone and things like that. And just, you know, that's where just, you know, an incompletion, you still kick a field goal. You know, a field goal's big in a game like that. So, I mean, the, 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 the interception in the red zone was critical. Three weeks in a row now, Iowa's run defense has just been terrific. Three of the Big Ten's best running backs each held to under 100 yards. Talk about that and about why they've been so successful. Well, I think it's right up front with King. You know, putting him over the nose a little bit this week was causing him problems. And if you can get it, uh, the nose takes two blockers, that's going to free up, you know, linebackers and the other defensive linemen. So I think, you know, King and Kroll and those guys inside are just doing a phenomenal job. The backers, Eads and Anger and those guys are, are doing a great job of finding it, getting to it. And ultimately, that's team defense. When you're facing great running backs, it is not necessarily the guy always getting the tackle. It's everybody in their assignments, everybody's got their gap. There's no place to run, so he tries to bounce it, forces it to the safety or the corner or something like that. So it's that's a team effort, uh, and they've done a great, great job of it so far. Special teams play showed some improvement again Saturday in all phases. It's nice to see Jewel Hampton making some good runs off the kick returns. Yeah, you know, field position's huge, and you know, and you can get uh, you know 30 plus yards on kickoff returns. That's going to give your offense great field position, and you know, now it's three or four first downs, and you're in field goal position versus five or six first downs, and that's critical. So you know, that and the punt returns and punt protections and all that stuff is, you know, those things will win games for you if, you, if you're good at them. Um, and that's how important they are. They call them special teams for a reason, you know. So, I mean, that's an area that I would, you know, is, needs to continue to emphasize and try to make big plays on. The Hawks, coaches and players, talk a lot about finishing. Iowa's performance on third down conversions and in the red zone is pretty bad right now. What can a coaching staff do to try and improve on that, or is it really on the players? Well, it's, it's emphasis, you know, having, having uh, you know, a lot of times you'll have red zone emphasis in the course of a practice. You'll have short yardage emphasis, goal line, and you need to emphasize third and mediums, third and, you know, third and seven, third and eight, and, and have, you know, a 12-play script where you got third and eight, and they see the chains, and they know where they have to get for the first down, and they have to execute. The defense is going to play, obviously, with the idea that it's third and seven, so they're going to give you the three or four-yard plays, and they're not going to give you the 10-yard the curls and eight-yard curls and things like that. So you just it just emphasis, and then ultimately, but it's making plays. You know, it's it's uh, you know when you have the opportunity to catch the ball and, and get a crease and, and pick up the first down, you got to make that play, execute it. So a combination of both things, I would say. Since second-guessing is what we all do, did you agree with going forward on those two fourth-down plays late in the game, and what do you think about the play calls themselves? You know, I thought that I thought the last play call uh, especially was a great call. I mean, I thought uh, the execution, you can question the execution of it, but, but, you know, you have Sean Green, you're on the road, you have no more timeouts, so there's two minutes and something left. You got a chance to get a first down there, get another first down, punch it in for a touchdown or kick the field goal. You, you could, you're on the road against a good football team, you got a chance to win the game right there. 
in my opinion. You burn the clock, kick the field goal, win the game. And, and you know, it's, what was it, foot? And you got Sean Green, a big powering back, and I think it was a great call. Just like I said, poor execution, unfortunately, just to leave the linebacker on block. But, uh, but yeah, I think it was a great call. Yeah, I read in the post-game interviews that Sean Green said that it was a linebacker just made a great play. Yeah. There's nothing they could do. Is it curious to you that Iowa only attempted two passes in the entire third quarter? When you got a powerful running game and, and you, you know, you, you want to use what's working and, and obviously the running game was pretty effective and, you know, at some point you may feel you can wear a team out too by, by leaning on them and pounding on them a little bit and then you want to try to get into that mode where you're going to try to hopefully get in the late fourth quarter, you're really going to have them you know, sucking some wind and kind of be able to really kind of roll over them a little bit. So, yeah, I don't, I, I don't recall what the particulars was in the third quarter, but that's it's interesting that we only threw two times. So. Many observers think that this team is actually playing much better than last year's squad. They're just not closing the deal. Do you agree with that I assessment? Do. I do. I think I think that this is a better football team. I think this is a football team that, you know, they could be 6-0. So, I mean, they could be two and four, too. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's, you know, I've, I've talked about our team every once in a while, and, and uh, you know, they're, they're very, very close to being really, really good, but they're also very, very close to being really, really bad at times. So, you know, it's just a matter of, and I, and I think to Coach Ferentz's credit, I mean, he's always been the, man, the mindset that they just, you got to get up better every day. You got to just get up the next day and get better and do the things you know are going to help you be successful. And, and I think they definitely are moving in the right direction. There continues to be a lot of fan criticism of offensive coordinator Ken O'Keefe. Some probably justified, some not. And he probably doesn't help himself by refusing to talk with the media. But stepping away from the immediate situation for a moment, what do you think of the argument that Iowa offense has not changed one iota for 10 years? They're still running exactly the same plays in the same situations with little imagination and no innovation for that entire period of time that opposing teams often say they know exactly what Iowa's going to do and when and that the defenses and overall parity have simply passed them by? You know, I, I think that uh, you can make the same case for Wisconsin. I mean, you, I mean Wisconsin's pretty predictable that you know kind of what they're going to do. Uh, they're just very, very good at executing that. And, you know, Iowa's defense, you can make the same case about Iowa's defense, but they're pretty dominant right now. They're playing pretty darn good football. It's a matter of, of getting the right players in the system that are conducive to this type, the style and the type of, of, of play that Iowa is accustomed to. And when you have those pieces in place, you got a good football team. And in my opinion, we're kind of, you know, round peg guys. And I mean, we're a physical, let's line up, we'll run the ball, we'll play action, and we need round peg players. I mean, that's kind of a corny analogy, but, you know, and I think we're starting to find that on our offensive staff now. We're able to line up and run the zone and stretch and really kind of pound people a little bit. And then we're seeing a lot more success. So we're seeing a better football team defensively. we got some pretty darn athletic linebackers and some pretty active defensive linemen. And when we have that, we got a good team. And I think in the back end, our defensive backs are some of the best we've had in a while, too. So, I mean, I think that's why we're seeing some success on the defensive side of the ball. That's why we're seeing some success offensively with the running game. It's who we are. I mean, it, you know, you, at some point you want to be able to hang your hat on something and say, this is who we are, this is what we do. And, and Iowa has that to some extent. They're just not quite there with finishing these games, uh, you know, versus, you know, a Michigan who's going to completely change who they are, you know, and run the spread now. Well, they're struggling. They're taking their lumps, and they, at times they don't look very good. Auburn the same way. They came in with the spread, and they just are absolutely inept on offense right now because they don't have an identity yet. Uh, so Iowa is – who they are, you know, and like I said, it, it works for them when they're good, and it, you know, you could make the same argument for what, uh, you know, Wisconsin team who was, you know, ranked tenth just two weeks ago. So I mean, it's, you know, that's their style, that's their philosophy, that's who they are, and that's who they hang their hat on. And at the end of the day, they know what they're going to try to do, and that's going to try to they're going to try to line it up and pound it down your throat a little bit. 
yeah, let's turn to the Indiana game. Another version of the spread offense that Iowa struggles with defensively, yet perhaps a winnable opportunity for the Hawks. What do you expect to see, and what are your keys to the game? Yeah, I, I think that's right. It is a spread offense. I think they've lost some players that are making an impact in the NFL, so they had some playmakers the last few years in Indiana. I don't think they have as good a quality playmakers, but still have a very potent group. The quarterback's back, and it's going to be a good challenge for Iowa's defense to continue to do the things they want to do. Uh, obviously, Iowa wants to make teams one-dimensional, stop the run, make it, force Indiana to throw the ball. Uh, and if they can do that, I think they'll be very, very effective. And then just, it's easy to say, but sometimes it's hard to do, is just eliminate the turnovers on offense. Because I, I think they'll line up. I think they'll run the ball effectively. I think they'll force Indiana to get eight up in the box. And then they should, you know, be able to start picking away with the curls and the digs and the, and the hooks and all that stuff with the passing game. And uh, should be able to have some success. I mean, this is a game that they should definitely line up and, and be pretty dominant up front and uh, have a good chance to control the tempo. and and execute the things that they need to execute offensively. So I'm looking forward, you know, to a you know a good challenge, Big Ten road test. But uh, wholeheartedly, this is a game that if Iowa plays well, they should win it. Do you think a win can turn this entire season around for this team? And conversely, what do you think another loss will do? Uh, a win would be great. I mean, uh, you know, I think, and this is a game they should win, in my opinion. I think a loss here could be bad because uh, then you follow it up with Wisconsin you know so I mean but a win here could definitely put them right back in the driver's seat where then they're going to be it's going to be exciting atmosphere with Wisconsin coming in next week and uh, a great opportunity you know because it'll be a, a big stage and in, in my opinion this is, a, this is a pretty good football team you know and, and they have a chance to go out and show it Saturday against Indiana if they lay an egg it, it would be a, a definite setback at this point you know losing four straight at this this juncture in the season would, would not be good uh, especially with Wisconsin coming into town but but you know it's just it's a great chance to get back up in the Big Ten uh, ledger and uh, you know try to become bowl eligible pretty quickly and uh, you know show that the, the Iowa fans that they are a good football team. Any other thoughts? No I mean it's just like I mean Frustrating to be an Iowa fan, especially when you see the last couple of games, you felt like they were in control, they had chances to win the game, and that's all you ever want as a player is, is the opportunity to win a game and, and to come out on the short side of those things is, is frustrating. But, you know, from a, from a, a pure fan base status from my, where I sit, I, I like what I see. I like the effort. I love the, the, the passion that the players are showing. And, uh, you know, I think they got a, you know, a chance to be a really, really solid football team. to the spot that he was in. The receiver just runs right into him, and Greenwood's looking for the ball. I think that'd be a good no-call situation right there. I mean, you, you got to have the right to the field that you're in. It was just a, one of those unfortunate collisions. Pass interference, number 30, defense. That's a 15-yard penalty, previous spot, automatic first stop. That's a tough break for Greenwood. I don't know what he could have done differently. And I, I agree with Kirk Ferentz on this, that that's, that's a tough call. Two pass interference calls have been critical in Iowa's last two games. Against Northwestern and Iowa City, it was offensive pass interference on Reisner that stopped a key Iowa drive in Wildcat territory. And last week at Michigan State, it was defensive pass interference against Greenwood in the end zone that led to a Michigan State field goal. Rob P. discusses those calls and both the OPI and DPI rules. Hi, Hawk fans. I'm here to talk about some pass interference calls the last couple weeks. 
The first call was in the Northwestern game. It was the call against Reisner where he was called for offensive pass interference for contacting a defensive player back away from the play. The basic rule for offensive pass interference away from the ball versus defensive pass interference away from the ball is essentially that the defense is allowed to do this away from the pass while the ball is in the air, but the offense is not. As far as the philosophy of making this call versus, for instance, not making a holding call that's clearly away from the play and has no impact on the play, if one of those three deep officials misses or doesn't make this call, they probably would have heard about it in their game evaluation. Uh, the second call was in the Michigan State game last Saturday where Greenwood was essentially run over by a receiver beyond the line of scrimmage in the middle of the field and got flagged for defensive pass interference. The guideline for defensive pass interference in situations like this are essentially even if the defender is just standing his ground, if that standing impedes the receiver's opportunity to catch what would have been a catchable pass, it's still DPI. The onus is on the defensive player to avoid that contact if he's not actually trying to make a bona fide attempt to catch or bat the pass, and that's pretty much straight from the rule book. The philosophy of making that call is pretty easy once the ball is thrown in the area of that receiver or directly to that receiver. I'm pretty tired. Think I'll go home now. Taking a look now at some Big Ten notes and stats going into week seven of the 2008 season and week three of Big Ten conference games. The conference has five schools with five or more wins, which equals the Big 12 for the most teams with that many victories. The Big Ten is one of three conferences that feature five nationally ranked programs. The other two are the Big 12 and the SEC. Following last Saturday's games, Michigan State and Northwestern moved into the rankings, joining Penn State, Ohio State, and Wisconsin. The Big Ten also still has two unbeaten teams, Penn State and Northwestern. In fact, Penn State is one of only four teams that already has six wins and has reached bowl eligibility status. Overall, there are only 15 unbeaten teams left in the FBS. Sean Green is now the leading rusher through the first two Big Ten conference games, 51 rushes for 360 yards and one TD. In other Big Ten stats, Iowa ranks fifth in total offense and seventh in scoring offense. The Hawks rank first in scoring defense and third in total defense. Key Big Ten games this weekend include Michigan State at Northwestern and Penn State at Wisconsin. Hawkeyes Mike is always interested in and encourages listener feedback. Help make us better. Please provide us with your comments and suggestions for programs, guests, and topics by emailing feedback at hawkeyesmike.com or by calling toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. We welcome back Pat Hardy. You can read Pat's articles in the Press Citizen and on Hawk Central. This week, Sean Patchett visits with Pat. What's your overall impression from last Saturday's game? It's the third close loss in a row, and this team right now just can't seem to win close games. I think this team is in the process of trying to figure out how to win close games, and I think unfortunately for the fans, it's taken longer than many had hoped or had expected. I think a lot of people thought this team would be maybe 4-2 and two at this stage. I, it's come down to they've been their own worst enemy these last couple of games. They're the only team in the country that's lost three games by a collective of 10 points or less. And I think that shows they're close, but right now they just haven't been able to get over the hump, and that's the challenge that's facing them. And now they go into this situation in Saturday at Indiana, I think in a similar situation, a very beatable opponent, but if they don't make those certain plays, they could find themselves in the exact situation. Sooner or later, I think they're going to get over the hump, and I have this feeling it might be this weekend. 
Well, Sean Green continues to dominate. He's outplaying other highly ranked running backs. That's been one of the ongoing pleasant surprises of the season. I think what Kirk brought up today, too, is one thing you have to really be impressed with about Sean besides just how strong of a runner he is is how consistent he is. You don't have a 180-yard game one week and then 40 yards the next week. He's right around that 150 mark almost every week, and you pretty much know what you're going to get with Sean, and he's hanging on to the football, and I think Sean's really doing a nice job of probably carving out a future for himself in football. Well, the offensive line also seems to be gelling. Maybe it's the best that we've had in three or four years. That's one of the stories that has been kind of overlooked right now with all the losing and all the questions about play calling and what have you, but the offensive line to me had its best game of the season against Michigan State. They were dominant on a lot of their zone blocking. Sean ran through some huge holes, and I think if Sean was a little faster, he probably could have broken some even further. But, yeah, the offensive line has been consistent this year, and I think if they could just win a couple of these games, you'd maybe start to focus on that a little bit more. You're outgaining teams by large margins. Your defense is holding down the running games. Shouldn't Iowa be winning? You should, but you've committed eight turnovers in the last two games, five by your quarterback. I think three or four of them in the red zone, and I think that pretty much cancels all that stuff out. Well, you wrote this week about Rick Stanzi's play. This was his first Big Ten road game. He's continuing to make critical turnovers, yet he shows poise and has a nice touch on his throws. Assess his play at this point, and do you think he might be playing better if he had started earlier in the season? I think that probably would have helped. You, you get better with more experience. I think the one thing Rick needs to do is he needs to be more careful of the football in the red zone. He needs to be more aware of what's going around, what's going on around him in the red zone. Defenses are just it's natural. When, the, when your opponent's getting ready to score, you're going to pick it up. You're going to play with a little more fire and I think the rush comes at him a little harder he's just got to be more aware of his surroundings and he's got to be cognizant of that football like if he's going to be sacked he's got to remember to grip onto that football I think sometimes he just kind of gets rattled and flustered in the pocket and maybe tries to do too many things and what have you but he just needs to be more aware of what is happening around him I think that'll come with each game three weeks in a row now Iowa's run defense has just been great it's allowed Green to be one of the more heralded running backs why have they been so successful against the run well I think they've got good players I mean you're talking about an All-American candidate, a defensive tackle. You're talking about a four-year starter at the other defensive tackle. You're talking about two defensive ends who are played a little bit as freshmen last year, but bring a lot of size and athleticism to the position. You're talking about some pretty decent linebackers that aren't that experienced, but are good players. I think the front seven was something that we thought would be the strength of this defense, and I think they have to play well because I think the secondary is very suspect. I thought the safeties played horribly in the game at Michigan State. Special teams play seemed to be much better on Saturday, and Hampton is showing something on kick returns. That's been one of the neat stories is watching Jewel Hampton emerge. I think sooner or later he's going to bust one of those and I think with each game he's given the coaches more, the coaches have more faith in him and I think they're more willing to get him in there even in important parts of the game which will help Sean because Sean will get some rest and that will help Sean from being fatigued at the end of the games and I think Jewel on special teams has been one of the big stories. Now, the thing with special teams is they're still inconsistent. They were good against Michigan State, they weren't that good against Northwestern. They need to somehow try to maintain a certain level of consistency because that's what this Iowa team needs. They need to have that edge on special teams. All right, let's talk some more about this team's difficulties in winning close games. You've written about it the last two weeks. The Hawks, coaches, and players talk a lot about finishing. Iowa's performance on third down conversions and in the red zone is not too good. Turnovers are obviously part of the problem. What else do you see there? I see the passing attack to me still out of sync. The timing still leaves a lot to be desired. I still see receivers 
running routes that take forever to develop and at times the quarterback is left standing in the pocket looking waiting for somebody to emerge as a receiver and I think their downfield passing attack has just been sort of inconsistent this year I think just their inability to complete that easy pass when they have to is what's stopping this offense from getting where they need to be their running game is fine I think the pass blocking is okay the run blocking I think has been superb but right now the receivers there's just not a lot of consistency in hitting receivers downfield and I I think it's better with Stanzi in there because I think he throws a more catchable pass than Christensen did but they still somehow this offensive passing attack needs to get together better it needs to start meshing better and then they can start doing more play action and what have you that's what they've got this opportunity to do such great play action right now because defenses are focusing so much on Sean so I think it's just a matter of just working and trying to get better there is obviously there's no quick fix or they would have done it we're all good at second guessing did you agree with going for it on those two fourth down plays late in the game and what about those specific play calls I do agree with going for it I was actually pretty excited they went for the last one at the end because if I've one thing I've been critical about this coaching staff is it seems like especially on the road they play not to lose it seems like they don't have a lot of faith in their players at times they always kind of take the easy conservative way out and there were still over two minutes to where had they kicked the field goal um, Michigan State still could have went down the field even though the Iowa defense had played well they still could have gone down the field so I don't have a problem with that one of the play one of the plays I would question is when Stanzi fumbled the first time on the quarterback sneak on second and one why not just get if you, if you don't want to pass the ball if you're not if you don't trust your passing attack if you're worried about maybe throwing an interception or having a sack give the ball to the tailback then I don't know why Stanzi had to run the ball on a second and one and but that for the most part though I don't have a problem with him going for it on fourth down this team's actually playing a lot better than last year's squad. Would you agree with that assessment? Oh yeah, this is a better team than last year. Last year's team couldn't do anything offensively, for the most part. They had a couple games where they did, but last year's team didn't self-destruct like this year's team did. This year's team is its own worst enemy, and it just shows how important turnovers are. Last year, I think Jake only threw about five or six interceptions, didn't fumble the ball much. They didn't do a lot offensively, but they didn't hurt themselves. This team can do more offensively, but it keeps self-destructing. Until it stops, it's going to pay the price. Offensive coordinator Ken O'Keefe continues to get a lot of fan criticism, some from the media. He won't talk to the media, which probably doesn't help. Getting away from the immediate game-to-game situation for a moment, there's a line of thought out there that the Iowa offense has not changed at all for 10 years. Even Norm Parker's defense is changing some things up a bit this year, yet on offense, they're still running exactly the same plays in the same situations, and some think with little imagination and no innovation. For the past couple of years, opposing teams often say they know exactly what Iowa's going to do and when. Do you think that argument is valid? I think there might be some validity to it, but I think it's overused. I think people need to realize that Ken O'Keefe is basically doing what his boss wants him to do. They could get rid of him tomorrow, but the Iowa offense isn't going to change. It's still going to be what Kirk Ferentz wants it to be. That's run first, that's 60% run, 40% pass. You're just not going to see a major change if they got Ken O'Keefe out of there. I've questioned some of Ken's play calling, but Kirk is comfortable with Ken. Ken is doing what Kirk wants to do. The buck stops with Kirk, and I just don't think it's going to change. This is what Kirk, they were predictable back in 2002, but they were good. 2003, they were predictable. They were good. I think, if anything, question their recruiting. I mean, if they got better players than maybe some of their outdated plays, which some people have described them, I don't think it would matter. If you got better players making plays, that's that's the difference, I think. Right now, there's too much emphasis on the play calling because the players aren't as good as they need to be. I just don't think that dramatic changes in offense are ever going to take place under Kirk Ferentz because it's not who he is. Is it fair to blame the coordinators for some of these difficulties? Well, you can blame the coordinators for whatever good that's going to do. I mean, you can blame Ken O'Keefe for some 
some of the play calling, but Kirk knows every play that's being called. He even confirmed that today. Kirk's not going to let a play that he doesn't like be called, and he's giving Ken O'Keefe some liberty and what have you, but this is Kirk's team, and I mean, blaming coordinators, I don't know what that really accomplishes, and as far as Ken not being available for media interviews, that's Kirk's policy. Kirk even explained it today. Kirk doesn't want his coordinators available, so basically Ken is just following his head coach's advice, and these are all things that when they're winning, nobody will care, but I think right now that they're losing, you're looking for reasons why people are unhappy with the play calling, but I just don't see the plays changing that much, and if some of these plays would work, then there'd be no issue. I mean, it's not, it's unfortunate that the fourth down against Michigan State didn't work, but I had it worked, it would have been a completely different story, and I don't think Ken was the one who went the wrong direction. There was a player breakdown and what have you, so there's a lot more to it, and I think just to blame the coordinators I think is a little short-sighted, and it's not going to really accomplish much. Penn State and Missouri come to mind, where essentially the same coaching staff has adopted a significantly new offensive approach, and they are two of the most successful programs this year. Looking around at the landscape today, do you think the more successful college football programs are those that have modified their schemes or stuck with what they've been doing? I would say there's a little bit of both. USC hasn't changed its offense. Oklahoma hasn't changed its offense. Ohio State really hasn't changed its offense other than putting a different type of quarterback in there. When Iowa had Brad Banks running in 2002, they looked just like Penn State does this year. Penn State's offense hasn't changed that dramatically. The personnel playing quarterback, going from Anthony Morelli to Daryl Clark, has given them more of an option on when the play breaks down to where it makes that offense look different. Now, Missouri's offense, that was one thing that's changed, but one thing you can say about the spread offense, and I know Kirk has brought this up, spread offenses seem to run their course. They're great for a while, but then after a while, opponents catch up with them, and then then it's a matter of what adjustments you make after that. But to say that Penn State's offense has changed dramatically to me is somewhat of an overstatement. I think it's more the personnel makes it look as if it's changed because they got the better receivers that they've had there than years. Fast receivers can make things look a lot more innovative on offense. Looking ahead to the Indiana game, they run another version of the spread that Iowa seems to always struggle with, although this year without James Hardy. How winnable is this game for the Hawks, and what do you expect to see, and what would be your keys to the game? Well, the key is to get out early, although they did that the last time in Indianapolis. The key is to contain Killen Lewis on third and longs. He's just been able to kill them these last couple of years on broken plays and what have you. Contain him in the pocket, not let him get into a rhythm. They need to keep him off balance and hope that they use that backup quarterback, which they, for some reason, have done Chappelle. Hill, I believe is his name, or Ben Chappell. Put him in there because he's not near the running threat that um, Lewis is. They just need to try to start early, but if they can run Sean Green and keep that Indiana offense off the field, that's the other key. But actually, I thought Indiana's defense was going to be horrible this year. They've actually been pretty good. They only gave up 16 points at Minnesota. That was a, Indiana and Minnesota was a very tough defensive struggle. So I think you're going to see a lot of Sean Green in between the tackles, and if they can conserve the clock and do some play action, that's the best way to contain that Indiana offense. Do you think a win can turn this team around? How how much longer can they lose close games and maintain a positive psyche, even though Ferenc says they're still solid right now? Well, they could lose close games the rest of the year because I think most of the games the rest of the year are going to be close. They got to win this week. They don't want to go 0-3. When you go 0-2 is bad enough. 0-3 is almost crisis mode. That means you're. That means they'd have to win what um, five of their last six or what? They're 0-3. That means they have. Five, they'd have to win their last five games just to try to really have a chance to even have. I think most people kind of used eight and four as kind of the the, the dividing line. For for a good season, an acceptable season to an unacceptable season. And I didn't think this team would make it to eight and four. I think they have a good chance to win this game. What's so important about this game is I can't see them beating Penn State or Illinois. There's, that would be four losses right there. They need to win this game where they really risk falling, but finishing below 500, which is not what you want from this program. 
you have any other thoughts? No, I've got a weird feeling that they're going to win this game, and I don't know why because they haven't shown anything against Indiana the last two years. I'm just thinking that maybe the law of averages are going to finally average out and they're going to win one of these close games. HawkeyesMike.com. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. www.HawkeyesMike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. That's 866-74-HAWKS. Just a reminder that following every football game, questions will be posted on HawkeyesMike.com. You can respond to those or offer whatever comments you like. The toll-free hotline will be open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. To have your comments included in the next show, please call by Tuesday evening. Just call 866-74-HAWKS. The new podcast should be available for listening or downloading later on Wednesdays. Again, just call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. No time for that now. The computer's starting. Today's Hawkeye's Mic program is made possible in part by... Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary new hand sanitizer that kills bacteria, viruses, and fungi for up to 24 hours with a single application. It contains no alcohol and actually moisturizes hands while protecting you and your family. Go to www.prefence.com. And by Morgan Stanley Financial Advisors of Coralville. Call 319-338-5184 or 800-870-0002 for all your investment needs. And by The Lodge Apartments in Iowa City, the finest in student living, your home away from home. Call 319-358-3500 or go to www.thelodgeatui.com. Iowa travels to Bloomington this Saturday for its third Big Ten Conference game of the season and second consecutive road contest, facing a 2-3 and three Indiana team that owns a two-game winning streak against the Hawks, including last year's 38-20 victory at Kinnick Stadium that spoiled Iowa's 2007 homecoming. Both teams have three-game losing streaks and are mired in a last-place conference tie with Wisconsin. The last Hawkeye win at Memorial Stadium was in 2002. Overall, Iowa leads this series. 38-27-4. The game is an 11 a.m. start and will be televised by the Big Ten Network. Iowa's Sean Green is one of only two running backs in the country to have rushed for 100 yards or more in the first six games of the season. Iowa ranks second in the nation in scoring defense, 19th in red zone defense, and 21st in total defense. This game also marks Kirk Ferentz's 150th career game as head coach. One interesting note, Indiana coach Bill Lynch was head coach at Butler in 1988, while Iowa basketball coach Todd Licklider was there as an assistant men's basketball coach. 2007 was Lynch's first season as Hoosier head coach. Indiana had a 7-6 record last year and made its first bowl appearance in 14 years. That happened to be the Insight Bowl, where Iowa was supposed to be headed until it lost its season-ending game to Western Michigan. This is another crucial game for Iowa. On paper, it seems winnable. This team is at a crossroads, a win here, and the Hawks might yet have a decent season and get back to a bowl. Another loss, and you really have to wonder about the team's psyche. A loss at Indiana would also mean a four-game losing streak 
for the third season in a row. Quarterback Rick Stanzi continues to be a work in progress. He needs to improve, obviously, especially by cutting down on, if not eliminating, his turnovers. He's literally been a turnover machine the last two weeks, a problem his high school coach said he did not have when he played for him. On the positive side, through his first two Big Ten games, Stanzi has completed 36 of 52 passes, a 69.2% success rate, and his pass efficiency rating is fourth in the Big Ten. I also think Iowa needs to have more of a vertical passing attack to put a lot of points on the board, but I'm not holding out much hope for that, given Kirk's defense this week of his offensive philosophy and Ken O'Keefe's play calling. You expect Sean Green to have another dominating game, and the offensive line is playing much better than last year when the Hawks gave up five sacks to Indiana. Ultimately, they just need to finish drives and games. The Hawks now rank last in the league in red zone offense and have a miserable third down conversion rate. Defensively, facing both quarterback Kellen Lewis and running back Marcus Thigben will be another challenge. At least the Hoosiers no longer have James Hardy. Hardy was a one-man wrecking crew the last few years against Iowa. But Lewis also has some great stats against the Hawks. 38 of 52 passes for 577 yards and 6 TDs. He also holds a pretty rare distinction, having completed a 71-yard touchdown pass to himself last year at Kinnick. In case you don't recall or have tried to forget that one, he actually completed a pass to one of his receivers, who then fumbled the ball, which was recovered by Lewis, who then took it 71 yards in for the score. Indiana has its own problems now. The Hoosiers did not get their first first down last week at Minnesota until two and a half minutes remained in the first half. In that game, they only got 293 yards in total offense, scored just one TD, and managed only 10 first downs. They only ran 48 plays and lost possession time to the Gophers by a whopping 15 minutes. On defense, the Hoosiers rank sixth in the Big Ten, giving up an average of 344 yards and 23.2 points a game. They have a solid defensive line. They have outstanding defensive ends who like to pressure quarterbacks, especially young and inexperienced ones. I actually think the Hawks might win this game, but I'm afraid to say it out loud, so I won't. And broadcast school has really paid off. And you see the close games that Iowa has had in the last two weeks, and that's what I'm talking about with just learning how to win. That's what this Iowa football team is missing. They're very competitive, just haven't figured out how to finish yet. Michigan State is going to win a close ball game for a change. And they do it on homecoming, 16-13. I think Kirk Parents is going to be fine, and Iowa's going to probably make a bowl game this year, in my opinion, for what it's worth. So a great win by the Spartans to come back and actually not come back, but hold on and then get that big play on defense from Adam Decker at the end. Our thanks again to ESPN2 for the game highlights, and thanks to our regular contributors Marv Cook and Pat Hardy and Rob P. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate by phoning and making your own voice heard, 866-74-HAWKS. That's 866-74-HAWKS. We encourage new callers, phone into Hawkeyes Mike, make yourself heard, then listen to yourself on the show. It's all Hawkeyes, all the time, on Hawkeyes mike.com for iowa fans by iowa fans nice work everyone sharp broadcast really good everyone on the floor as well really a lot of hustle i liked it this has been a presentation of hawkeyes mike llc